Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I am delighted to be joined today by Anne-Marie Rohrink. She is the principal of 210 Analytics and well-known, of course, to many folks in the produce world for her insightful reports and presentations, like the one she just did recently at the Southeast Produce Council's Southern Innovations. Anne-Marie always brings awesome perspective on what's happening at Produce Retail and what's happening with the consumer, which of course is the ideal combination. So with no further ado, Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Ashley. It's been a little bit, so I'm excited to be here. Me too. I was funny. I was looking back in my my folders related to the podcast and I saw one of our previous episodes, 2023 Outlook. So I can't believe we're at the end of the third quarter of 2023 already. Uh, hey, absolutely. Clearly, we need to get on each other's schedule a little bit more often. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, this study is uh, is definitely a good reason to. Absolutely. So I believe it's called the the What's New was kind of the, the theme of the report. And you mentioned that you guys, when you put out this survey for consumers, like 95% of the questions are new. So tell me a little bit about the topics that you wanted to explore that you guys hadn't necessarily explored with consumers before. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times when we do consumer research, it is all about that trend line. And there's a lot of value in that because rather than saying, hey, how do you used to shop and how do you shop now? We can actually see that in the data. So there's a lot of value in that. But so what's new is really all about, well, you know, what is really hot right now that we need to have the consumer voice on, but also what is way out there on the horizon where we might be able to think about our world a little bit differently. And that's really what's what's new is all about. So SEPC uh, contracts me uh, to do the research and we were able to ask 1900 consumers what they thought about all our crazy ideas that we had out there in the areas of like affordability and technology and health and well-being and etc. Just a few weeks ago um, at the Southeast Produce Council Southern Innovations, we launched the study and we asked 1900 consumers, what do you think about all these crazy ideas in five different areas? And they were areas like convenience and affordability, health and well-being, technology. And of course, those are topics that we hit in many other studies as well. But we really tried to look further down the horizon and come up with some ideas that just might help us think about our world a little bit differently. Awesome. And I know that something that is still top of mind for many consumers, myself included, perfectly honest, um, is inflation or, you know, whether the the reality of inflation or the perception of inflation, either way, it sort of doesn't matter when it comes to consumer behavior. I was curious to hear, um, as I reviewed the the deck that you sent over, Anne-Marie, it looks like a lot of people are still in an effort to to save a little money, not eating out as much, which of course leaves this huge gap for retailers to fill. And they they've been been pretty uh, pretty creative and, and aggressive, I think, in in trying to fill that that desire for you know good, different, interesting meals that folks can get without going out to eat. What have you seen on that front? Yeah, some really, really fun findings in that regard. Um, Of course, Southern Innovations is a combination of retail and food service. So we had the opportunity to also ask a lot about buying produce as part of a restaurant meal. 
So we dug pretty deep in that area and come to find out, like you say, you know, there's just a lot of economic pressure out there. And automatically, a lot of consumers will say, you know what, I'm going to cook a little bit more, eat out a little bit less. Um, so that's step number one. And that, of course, for retail is a big opportunity. But when we dug deeper into that food service behavior, what we found out is that really people have a two-tier affordability strategy. So number one is... I'm going to pick a restaurant that already matches my budget. So that way I don't go to a place and then have to sit and dig through the menu to find the items that I can't afford. So really matching budget and restaurant, that is strategy number one. And I think that's one of the reasons why we see family style restaurants, um, quick serve, those kinds of things still do really well. The other thing that they're doing while they're in the restaurant is really focusing in on that main meal. And a little bit less of the appetizer, the alcohol, the dessert. And so if you think about where a lot of the produce is sitting, that is certainly in that main meal. So in a way, that's great news. Um, now, for retail, where there lies a big opportunity is this word hybrid. We talk about hybrid meals a lot if we talk about how people cook at home. So a little bit of time-saving solutions, some items cooked from scratch, what we found out relative to restaurants and retails that really that inflation has driven another hybrid behavior. And that is I might source my pizza from a pizza place or my burger or whatever the main meal is. But a lot of people are actually adding store-bought produce to meals that they're ordering at restaurants. So think about your fruit salad or your cut veg or your, your salad kit, those kinds of things where we can actually be the plus one to a restaurant meal and really give a new swing to that hybrid meal. Very interesting. And I'm curious what you're seeing also in terms of the, so a few different ways, right, that, that folks are approaching it in store, whether it's broadening their assortment in, in prepared foods and, and making more kind of ready to go meals available, or even just on the merchandising side, putting things together that they know, like, hey, we're just going to present these different things from different departments to you in one place. And we think there's a good chance that you can use all three together. So just snag them all here at once. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, more and more I'm seeing those silos of old come down where you truly have the produce department, the meat department, etc. So to your point, I think it's really important for us to realize that, yes, there is the dollars and pounds in the produce department. And for all the commodities, that will always be your biggest home. But we are seeing a lot of those produce dollars sit in that deli prepared, grab and go, stick in the oven and done you are. Um, kind of offering as well. And if you look at uh, just some of those things at the major retailer, so there are the little dishes that you can either put in the microwave or the oven with uh, little potatoes in them or asparagus with the steak. Sometimes they're like the whole meal or sometimes they're just a whole series of sides. And that's certainly where a lot of the produce dollars are sitting as well. Now, we also listened to a lot of consumer videos uh, during the session, and there was one lady in that consumer video that talked about, uh, well, we're trying to eat out less. My family likes pubby food, she calls it, and she describes that as burgers and um, chicken tenders, chicken wings, that kind of thing. And then she says she'll find herself wandering through the store, figuring if I were to go out to dinner tonight, what would I buy? 
And she's like mentally picturing this menu of if her family were at a restaurant. So exactly to your point, what I'm seeing retailers do is create those cross merchandise displays in the beginning of the store, right in the middle of the store, just in non-traditional locations where all of a sudden that person is like, oh, yeah, look at that. There is my pub burger right there with the side salad, uh, with the onion rings and those kinds of things where people see a meal rather than a part of a meal. Mm -hmm. And this this is a little bit of a of a detail kind of execution oriented question, a, a bit off the beaten path of the research. But I'm curious for that cross merchandising, are we seeing kind of mobile refrigerated displays or or what's sort of the mechanism for being able to do more of that cross merchandising around the store? Yeah, you know, it's super exciting to see a lot of those island cases coming in. That's what I call them. I have no idea if that's the official term or not. That's the only <laughs> term. So uh walked into a Whole Foods the other day and I saw a, um, a chicken, like chicken breast display right smack in the middle of the produce department. Oh. Walked into the, the meat department and saw um, corn, asparagus, mushrooms, all these items sitting right there. So I think, you know, stuff like that is very encouraging to see that the silos are coming down and we are truly figuring, hmm, this is really that way to get that extra item into the basket. Because if there's one thing all departments have in common, it is that people are leveraging how much they buy as a way to balance their budget at the end of the day. And so cross merchandising really becomes that fantastic way to to entice people to buy that one extra item that maybe they hadn't thought about. Um, and I'm thinking I'm buying ground beef. I'm going to make burgers. Oh, look at that. My corn and my mushrooms are sitting right there. Um, so it's really that kind of um, merchandising that, you know, not only helps the consumer, but certainly helps our bottom line as well. And from the the examples that, that you included in, in that deck that I referenced earlier, it looks like there's quite a bit of of marketing around that meal solution piece to a lot of signage or the what's for dinner call outs things like that to try and try and just connect like you mentioned with that consumer mindset as people are walking through the full through the through the store okay what am i having for dinner what do we need for the next six meals this weekend you know that sort of thing Exactly. And, and you know, it's interesting you say for the next six meals, because what we're seeing is people are actually going to the store a little bit more often. And in part, that is, there's a big focus on preventing waste right now. Um, managing that fresh waste is a big way to manage your money to make sure that what you buy, you actually eat. At the same time, of course, if you shop more often, you can really take advantage of all those specials that are out there as well. Um, so certainly, you know, that meal planning component is really important, but really giving people an idea in their head to say, oh, look at that. They make it easy for me rather than me wandering through the store and double backing on myself four times. Um, now I have a solution. And and I still believe that Wegmans is, is just a best in class example in that case. I always say to folks, look, if you go out to dinner you know exactly what you're spending per person because whatever you order on the menu, that price is right there. So that program that Wegmans and a few others have uh, to really say all these items. Now, if you were to calculate that on a per person basis, this entire meal is $2.50 per person or $3.50 a person. 
now in your mind, the math becomes really, really easy. So the question I get a lot is, well, if it if there's that much pressure on income and, and inflation and affordability, how come that Delhi prepared is doing really well, right? That stupid little tray with the potatoes, why is it moving so well? <laughs> My answer to that is I think it's different math. You know, in that particular case, it is not that, oh, I'm looking for a cost effective way to create a meal. That is a different math where that convenience, the time saving, replacing a restaurant meal comes way more into into the whole math equation. And that's probably where the price points come from in that regard. That's a really interesting distinction you make, Anne-Marie, that the different sort of meal occasions that folks are coming in thinking about replacing a restaurant meal, you're thinking about that and your your willingness to pay with that is very different than, okay, it's a Tuesday night, there's five of us at the house, there's four of us at the house, or six of us at the house, or you know whatever it is. Those are two totally different sort of value expectations there. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. Well, I was curious too, you mentioned Wegmans. Who else would you say are sort of folks to to just check out and, and emulate as far as what they're doing in, in sort of that meal presentation to the shopper? Because I feel like that's just such a big opportunity area right now. Yeah, so a lot of retailers have launched some very interesting programs. I was judging the National Grocers Association marketing program last year. And uh, a a, a store up in the Northeast had a program where they said eat for $10 a day. And it was really a lot of fresh ingredients, but they actually put a menu together and it was shoppable. It was super easy to add into the basket. And it was not just like, oh, here's your bowl of cereal. It was actually one day it was like a biscuit with with sausage and one day it was like some fruit bowl, et cetera. So they were good, healthy meals put together by the dietitian, but really making that meal planning with affordability in mind. So I think a lot of it comes down to doing the work for the shopper because uh, certainly <laughs> that whole idea of the pressure on the on the dollar and the pressure on time, it is real for for many of us. Yeah. Very much so. That's that is fascinating. Were they doing that? Was that mainly digital, or was that kind of an an in store thing too? How they were putting that together? No, it was actually the category of uh, omni marketing, and so they had billboards and um, Facebook, and they had in store executions of it where they put the stations together. The dietitian did. Um, all sorts of interviews on it. So it was really done throughout the store. And I think Kroger is actually doing a lot with that $10 price point as well. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing about pricing is we often talk about price elasticity, right? How much will the demand change if the price rises? But one really important thing in that idea is price cliffs. And those are those price points that if you go over that price point, the, the pullback on the volume is much, much stronger than the two cents you went up the week before. And that is something where some commodities are struggling. They have just pushed past that price cliff um, for all the right reasons. And that actually was, I think, another really important finding from the SCPC study. And that was the idea of what's just your perception out there, Mr. Mr. Consumer, 
do you think the industry is passing along cost or do you think they're adding and heaping on to make more money? And I was actually surprised to see that 50% of consumers believed that uh, when they buy produce at the store, it is more expensive because we are adding more money than, than the cost. So we're lining our pockets a little bit more. And I got to thinking back to the early days of the pandemic, where I think whether I was looking at produce or meat or seafood, we were really, really good at communicating why people could only buy two packages or why the prices were higher. And we were truly educating people in store about all the supply chain issues. And of course, it was a big topic of discussion altogether. Um, but I think we've stopped doing that a little bit. Um Probably for all the right reasons. For a while there, our supply chain was a little better and, you know, you're trying not to be negative. But I, I do believe that if you look at the consumer press, there is a lot more out there on we're gouging people um, kind of thing. And, and that is dangerous. So I think continuing to communicate and really positioning, you know, we're doing all we can. Um, there's just a lot of added cost in the system and, you know, bringing in those seasonal items, bringing in the limited time offers. Uh, leveraging deflation where you can, um, and then maybe meal plan against those items as well. So yeah, affordability is definitely a, a big thing. Mm -hmm. The communication piece there that, that you mentioned, Anne-Marie, I'm glad you brought that up because I do remember during COVID, even things like industry people being quoted in, in national mainstream publications saying, well, this is why it's not as straightforward as taking what was going to go to food service and taking it directly to the food bank because you've got these these huge pack sizes, right? That they can't, you know, they can't practically portion out for people who need, you know, all those sorts of logistical issues and behind the scenes thing that your average consumer just has no idea that it even exists, right? Like, what is a yeah. supply chain? Most people are not are not super familiar with that. Um, so I'm glad you bring that up because I. I think that's that's an interesting topic to sort of follow and and think around what would that look like to to have not necessarily I I, I know a, like price transparency or costing transparency is is a little that that concept is probably a little terrifying for people but but I wonder I wonder how that communication could take place because I I agree with you it's it's just it's a big it's a big gap and it does influence how people how people think about food, right? And the value of food. Absolutely. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, perception is reality. Um, but I do think, you know, we we can help bring reality and perception a little bit closer together. Um, you know, for instance, while at SEPC, I was talking to some retailers and we were talking about the thousands of additional employees that are rolling through because of the quick turnover these days. And some people just stay in weeks, months, what have you. And if you think about having to pump 6,000, 8,000 more people through the system, there's a lot of cost involved with that. And so, you know, that's just one example. Think about some stores having to have security guards, all these different things. Ultimately, that cost has to sit somewhere. And you know, you can't educate the consumer, obviously, on everything, um, but to make sure that our voice is out there to say, hey, um, we are we are not just adding a, a quarter to the price of strawberries just yeah. because we feel like it, <laughs> you know. Well, that's such a great point. And you mentioned security guards. And that's just a great example of something that 
most people would never associate with the cost of their food. But obviously, you know, if if there has to be all this additional security to to keep, you know, high dollar CPG goods from walking out the door. Well, now that all gets rolled up into your costs and your margins for for everything in the store, including your food, which is, again, not not dots that the consumer is probably going to connect. So some kind of. Yeah, some kind of um, communication out there. I, I do. It's just one of those things, right? Like nobody's talking about fresh produce unless the fresh produce people talk about it. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, one interesting tip I think is uh, a lot of times we look at the margin rate, so the percentage, and we're always trying to keep that percentage the same. There are some retailers who are starting to look at margin dollars. So knowing that the price is so much higher, your percentage can be a little bit lower. Um, so that is just something to look at. You know, at a certain time, what was your old margin dollar, and what where do you need to sit in terms of today's percentage to match that margin dollar versus the margin rate? So that could be uh, something interesting to look at. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm sure it's another thing where where it all kind of goes in in cycles. What uh, what leadership is focused on sometimes, right? Because I remember uh, early in my time in the business, the 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 old school phrase: "You're not taking percentages to the bank; you're taking dollars to the bank." That's you know, right. so there's uh there's there's an element of that. I know that's not probably what uh, what people get their bonuses on and and some things like that at the very tip top, but. Uh, but it's it's an interesting part of it for sure. And I, you know, I, I joke. I know all those different metrics are, are part of the equation and, and well thought out and all those sorts of things. But but it, it is sort of unusual at times. So I'm sure people are going to be getting creative and kind of thinking like, what really makes sense for us in this specific environment today? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wondered too, and and one more just sort of on this you know, this economic environment and how that's influencing shopping behavior. And and then we'll, we'll keep moving along. But I saw in the deck, a mention of private brand. And I know that generally that's been something that, um, you know, has seen success in this environment. I was curious what we know about private brand in, in produce since, you know, it's not as much maybe in fresh as it is in some other areas of the store. Yeah, no, good point. Um, ever since, of course, the whether they're recessionary pressures, inflationary pressures, whatever you want to call them, we are seeing behaviors out there as if we are deep into a recession. So one of those behaviors obviously is is oftentimes private brand. Produce is very unique in that, you know, a lot, especially the bulk is not branded at all. And then of course you have the organic side and the value-added side, which tends to be very branded. Um, so, you know, from an attitudinal reaction of the consumers, they're saying, oh, yes, I'm buying more private brand or at least more willing to buy private brand because that's what they're doing in other parts of the store. At the same time, I do believe that especially on the value added, like I'm thinking salad mixes and those kinds of things. Um, what Where I see younger consumers who tend to be not as loyal to brands in the center of the store, they actually tend to be more loyal in other parts of the perimeter because it's really that eating experience. And, you know, we all have our favorite salad kit with that dressing that we just love, whereas maybe the other one we don't, whether that's private brand or that's one of the national brands, right? 
So we actually are seeing private brands do well. Um, but a lot of times, I think one of the biggest messages we should never forget is that it is the national brands who invest in the visibility of the department and the visibility of the category. They are the ones investing their their dollars, their shopper marketing dollars, their promotional dollars, marketing dollars, and they're really the ones to bring defeat to the aisle. Um, so I believe uh, that while, yes, in the current environment, people are more willing to buy private brands, we should never forget that it's really the national and the private brands that win together hand in hand. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, one of the things that that you pulled out of this research, Anne-Marie, that I, I thought was interesting and, and again, just resonated with me personally was while people are generally, you know, watching their watching their wallets a little bit there's still willingness to splurge on specific occasions, right? What were those those splurge factors that you all identified in the research? Yeah, you know, this is why it's so much fun that SEPC basically says, hey, go out to the industry, see what they want to know, and whatever the industry wants to know, you ask. And so one of the questions was, okay, we know that there's a lot of saving and a lot of money saving measures happening, but we also see sometimes these, these spikes, right? So the question became, what gets you to splurge a little bit more when you're buying fruit and veg? Now, I asked that question in other areas of the store and in other areas of the store, holidays and special celebrations were easily the number one. If you think about the meat department, right, that's when you buy that nicer steak or what have you. So I was kind of expecting that to be the number one answer. Well, it wasn't. It was actually, I believe, the number five answer. The number one answer is, I think, the area where the produce industry is the worst. And that is doing something nice for myself or my family. And that kind of set off a whole series of slides where I was thinking, so happiness, emotional well-being, like just something that I love and just bought. Did I need it? Could I have spent much less? Sure. But I really wanted it. Bakery. Bakery department does that better than anybody else, right? Where they their signage is all about togetherness and happiness. And every day is worthy of a treat. And they talk about, you know, just doing something nice for yourself and that treat, whether that is the the cupcake or the donut or the cookie. And that's the language they use. It's the visuals that they use, right? It's, It's the very happy woman with the cupcake and a cup of coffee kind of thing. And it got to thinking, hey, gosh, why don't we do that? Because so many people love fruit in particular and many of the vegetables that are out there as well. And they truly are a treat, but we've become a little bit overly focused, I think, on that healthy side. I believe produce owns healthy, right? And that overall halo. As a matter of fact, if you go to Google or whatever your search engine is and you type in healthful eating and you click images, every image that comes up is fresh produce. So I think that connotation with physical health is automatically there. But what the SEPC study found was that a huge number of people, eight in 10, believe that emotional well-being, so happiness, is just as important as physical health. And then I got to think and combine with the what gets me to splurge a little bit more something nice for myself. Well, something nice for myself is exactly that happiness. 
why don't we go after that a little bit more? Like, why is it that the cupcake with the one teensy cherry on top calls themselves berry moments? So why are they stealing our language? Or it's pumpkin season, right? Pumpkin lattes, pumpkin, pumpkin cupcakes. If you look at the emotion that goes into the bakery marketing and visuals, uh, you know, I really think we're onto something here. That's very interesting. Well, and especially you think about all these new high flavor items that are in produce now. I mean, when you were talking about the, you know, every, every day deserves a treat, like cotton candy grapes, you know, the pink glow pineapple. I'm thinking about all these different things that I'm like, I would look at that and think, you know what? deserve a, a treat today and this is even pretty darn healthy so I you know I'm I'm gonna indulge but I'm but it's good for me too so double indulgence because I'm getting something you know a little impulse a little more on the you know a little higher end but it's good for me so good job for me for doing you know making a good decision for my health too <laughs> oh exactly it's that produce has permissibility where other categories do not right like in meat in in bakery etc it, it, it's like a constant little bit push uphill to say, no, 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 this is good for you, or you do deserve that treat. We don't really have that in produce. Um, so what, for us, it's really the, gosh, there really is opportunity, I believe, in, of course, talking about health and, and many thoughts on that as well from the SEPC study about, you know, go beyond vitamin C, and we can talk about that in a sec. Um, but really that idea of doing something nice. And I'll give you an example. I walked into Publix the other day and they had a big display of those combined cherry plum things. And, and I thought, oh gosh, I love cherries. I love plums. I'm going to try this. And the little bag had a massive $2.99 sign. I was like, well, you know, $3, but I should try this. It looks awesome. Well, and of course it was $2.99 a pound. So I ended up paying eight, $9 for it. Um, but everybody loved them and it was a wonderful dessert for dinner that night. And, you know, we, we bought more of them, but exactly right. Um, you know, really that idea of, of a lovely dessert, of a treat, of doing something nice for myself, which, you know, stacks on top of the permissibility that fresh produce already has. Well, and, and I, I think too, it's even, and and I know different studies that that you all have done over the years have talked about different meal occasions, but I even think about, you know, indulgent snacks or making produce the center of dessert. So when we talk about cross merchandising, obviously things like the, I, I just call it the fancy cheese, right? Like the fancy right. cheese with the berries or the grapes or nuts, or, you know, you can have your chocolate dip or your caramel dip, right? That we always see in there, because honestly, even if you're dipping a few strawberries in chocolate, it's still a heck of a lot better than that chocolate bar or that, you know, ice cream or whatever else you were going to get. And it just, I mean, there's no reason that that fruit in particular shouldn't own that dessert occasion. I mean, again, you, you, you tap into, I love the, that word permissibility <laughs> to it, right? Where it's like, oh, I could have dessert every night. I just need to make sure that it's got fruit, you know, front and center of it. Or, ooh, I can have an indulgent snack every day because part of it is fruit and that's good for me. I mean, I I think there's a lot of of space around that. At least as a consumer, that makes me feel excited. As somebody who's always trying to get away from, 
you know, the traditional sweets from like, okay, zero nutritional value. Right. Um, but that's, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that in a little bit. And, uh, as you can tell that, that gets me excited. <laughs> no, absolutely. So yeah, to see that that one rose to the number one, and I, I really feel that there's a lot of runway for us in produce there. And then the number two way, um, that gets people to splurge a little bit more is that traditional health. So if I deem it a little bit better for me, nutritionally, uh, if it's grown more sustainably, ethically, those kinds of things. Convenience was the number four. So that one really starts to come in on that keeping myself sane spectrum as well and having somebody do a little bit um, of the work for me every once in a while. And then in number five in produce were those special occasions. And we certainly see in the sales numbers um, that those special occasions and holidays are still a big opportunity. And that I think then also speaks to, you know, what might be some self-invented holidays or are you making sure that produce is enough part of all the secondary and primary holidays that are out there? Well, and once again, seems like a huge cross-merchandising opportunity there. I mean, obviously this will depend on the the type of store and their assortment of what, you know, all that sort of thing. But again, the fancy cheeses, you could have a whole event themed around try letting people sample some of those different things because I, I always assume that if if I experience something as a consumer, there's at least a f- you know a few million people out there who are probably on the same page. I don't know what all the different fancy cheeses taste like or maybe you know which fruits are are absolutely fantastic with each one. But you you could make a huge event out of that, you know, on a on a high traffic Saturday and you promote it on social media and in the ad and do all the different things. I mean there's a, I, because I, I remember that was one of the things that you called out in the deck was invent some of your own holidays here, right? When you know that something is great and seasonal, turn that into an event and make it where people want to participate. They don't want to pass that by and, and miss out on being involved. Exactly. Now, I mean, we all love our um, Instagrammable moments, right? So that's part of it. Um, But I'll also take a page out of the playbook of seafood right now, where crab is having unbelievable prices, low prices this year. And some best in class retailers are taking that crab price and have created more crab fests, we'll call them, uh, where they're really creating these wow prices where people not only are buying a vendor in the store, but actually coming to the store because of it. And that's where living in a time where some items, yes, are inflating a lot, but there's also some commodities where we're seeing some deep deflation. And are you really looking at those to become that wow item where people are seeing that price and are positively impressed by it and and added into their cart? So a lot of opportunity there. But yeah, to hook back into physical health for a moment. The question in the SEPC What's New survey was, what is the number one nutrient that comes to mind thinking about the produce department? Well, normally I create word clouds out of that and there are several words that are big. In this particular case, there was one massive word and then everything else was teensy tiny and the massive word was vitamin C. Now that's nice especially during pandemic times, we're all looking for our vitamin C, immunity, et cetera. But come on, (laughs) we are known for more than that. And it really um, gave another moment of pause to say, 
if you look at all our competition that is out there, whether it's the supplements or those squeeze pouch things or shots, especially um, smoothies, they lead with the feature and the benefit. They lead with all the nutrients that are in there and what that nutrient is for. So vitamin C for immunity, vitamin D for, you know, immortality, um, <laughs> everything is pretty much on there. Um, so I think the opportunity is, yes, we are automatically associated with health and well-being, but could we go a step further and really educate people too about the vitamin C plus, I'll call it, <laughs> uh, feature and benefit. Well, and I, that makes so much sense in terms of the the benefit. Cause even when I think of, and this is going to sound totally random, but, and maybe they don't do it as much anymore. Bath and Body Works had this like aromatherapy line of, of lotion and candles and whatnot. And so they all had a specific purpose. It was for stress relief, for sleep, for yeah. energy, all these different things, right? And as as silly as that sounds, and I have no idea if there's any science behind that or if it was just genius marketing, it was something that as I looked at the assortment, I'm like, hmm, stress relief sounds nice. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Yep. All okay. Right. I'm gonna and that's gonna I'm gonna put put that on my hands before I go to bed, and that's gonna be a nice little routine. And I feel like I'm doing something that addresses something specific for me. A specific nope. need. Yeah. And I think the smoothies, the shots um, are really, really good at that. Like yeah. they'll, they'll say gut health or immunity or whichever it is, stress relief. And so again, to your point, is there any science in this? There, there probably is to some extent, um, but certainly we're leaving it to the consumer to figure that out relative mm-hmm. to the other fruits and veg. Um, the potassium is another interesting one. If you say potassium, uh, most people will either say bananas or, or uh, potatoes, but there are so many items that are good sources of specific nutrients that people are looking for. Um, they just don't realize it. Uh, protein is another big one. You know, certainly there's many produce items that could play in protein, um, but people don't know. So they go back to what they know. And that is, well, meat, dairy, seafood. Um, so yeah, I, I think that was another uh, really big finding of, of the what's new study. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love your point about how some of those, those shots kind of carry it through to what it actually does for me versus the name of the vitamin or, or the nutrient, because like, I know the blueberries have antioxidants, right? What exactly are antioxidants supposed to do for me again? Well, I know they're good. I know they're good for me. Blue slash purple, you know, foods that are that color, they have those. What's the takeaway for me again? I I could be wrong. I bet there's a decent number of consumers in that boat. So to your point, carrying it through to like, oh, what does that mean for me as I'm running around trying to get everybody to school, trying to get ready for the workday? you know, I'm on, I'm on five hours of sleep because we did this yesterday and, and things fell through the cracks a little bit, you know? Right. Now I agree with you. And actually the what's new study asked some interesting questions along those lines. And, and I almost, it, to keep it simple, stupid really came to mind because we asked, Hey, like, let's just say bell peppers. Do you want to see bell peppers has X milligrams of, of vitamin C bell peppers are rich in vitamin C or bell peppers can help support your immune system. Um, And there were a lot of consumers that, yes, were sitting in number three. Now, 
I fully realize FDA looks over our package labels and there are certain things that supplements can do that we are not allowed to do as fresh produce, meat, seafood, et cetera. Um, But I think there's a way to figure out where can we do it? Can we leverage science? Is that where social media comes in um, to really help highlight some different fruits and vegetables and and talk a little bit about that, but in a consumer way? And, And another really fun one from the SCPC study was what's regenerative agriculture? I think most people in our industry agree that that is a wonderful thing. We asked the consumer and almost four in 10 had it so wrong. They thought it was either growing GMO crops all the time or growing the same crops or monocrops all the time. So in other words, two mostly considered negative things were the interpretation of regenerative agriculture. Then you take a step back and you're like, regenerate. Is it so crazy that people think it means growing the same crop again and again? Maybe not. And so the whole conclusion of of the What's New study was educate, but make sure that the consumer knows what you're talking about. Yeah, that's such a good point, because any, I mean, I, I figure if, you know, if I went into some other industry that I was completely unfamiliar with, It would take some time to learn the terminology, the jargon, all those sorts of things. Why would we expect consumers to be any different, right? As far as, you know, terminology from agriculture, from produce, from supply chain, all all those different areas related to this business. It's not going to be familiar to your average person. I'm sure you probably do this too, Anne-Marie. Over the years, as I've Ubered to many, many places in the course of travel for industry events, the friendlier Uber drivers will say, oh, so what do you do for a living? And I'll tell them all about the produce industry more than they ever wanted to know. And number one, it's funny how many people are are pretty interested. And number two, I, I really work on trying to take that terminology out of it because I get sort of the blank stare at certain places. I'm like, oh, right. this is what that is, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's, it's, there's a building excitement behind regenerative agriculture to, to harp on that one for a minute. Um, and, and it's great to see that the industry has taken initiative to say, Hey, if we improve our agriculture, whether that's animal or, or produce agriculture, um, then, you know, that's, that's a wonderful thing. But yeah, let's, let's make sure that our wonderful thing is actually, uh, interpreted correctly by our end consumer. Absolutely. Well, and something else that uh, that you covered in this study that I thought was super interesting, the technology piece. We've seen a lot of headlines about chat GPT. And uh, as somebody who has specialized in words for many years, the idea of handing that over is a little frightening. But I'm curious what you've seen and how people are experimenting with what certainly is a tool with a lot of potential given the right parameters, probably. 100%. I mean, to your point, uh, I think we are far ways from being able to say run with it. Um, But certainly it's a start for many people. And what I thought was fascinating is uh, one of the repeating questions, one of the very few repeating questions, because this was year three of the SAPC research, was, you know, how do you, what are your sources of meal planning um, inspiration? And one big conclusion was actually that routine is making a little bit of a comeback. And that is a big one for the simple reason that 
it is a way to make sure that when you spend the money, you're actually going to spend it wisely, right? Because if you bought that before, so really getting people to try new things might be a wee bit harder. So we got to work a little bit harder at that. Uh, but the big conclusion there was that 5% of people said, I use chat GPT to do my meal planning. Now, you're probably wondering why in the world does this woman get excited over 5%? <laughs> my whole idea was a year ago, nobody had heard zero. of zero. Yeah. <laughs> did not know it wasn't cheapy, whatever the letters were. And now 5% of the population say, right along with TikTok and Pinterest and everything else, I'm using ChatGPT. So I went in it, I downloaded it. And I said, I, I thought I was being difficult. And I said, meal plan me for a week for a family of four, uh, under 20 minute meals and healthy and on a budget. So I, I threw in any parameter that I could possibly think about. And it is amazing how instantly it starts to spit out this menu and it gives you seven dinners. And what I loved was clearly AI is not in our kitchen. It is not in, in the restaurant. It doesn't see what we cook, how we cook and, and what we order, but it learns from what's online. And so that positive association of produce with health and, and plant forward eating really came out in the types of meals that AI was suggesting to me um, because a lot of the options for my seven days always included a fresh fruit or vegetable. And there were several plant-based, plant-forward items in there as well. And then I said, well, now, okay, fine. I agree with your menu. Change it into a grocery list for me. And instantly it said, meat department, buy this, this, and this, vegetables, this, this, and this, fruit, this, this, and this. So um, I can very easily see, and certainly from the survey, our follow-up question was, okay, what are you using? Uh, AI or not, what could you envision it being useful for? And it was exactly that, just researching things, having it do planning and and just kickstarting off some of the, uh, you know, our, the things we all struggle with. So very interesting to see. Oh, that's I'm yeah, I'm I'll be very curious to see how that develops, because certainly I know one of the one of the functions on the uh, I don't know if uh, it was Weight Watchers. Now it's WW. I don't know if they switch back to the old branding, but they have a sort of a meal planning function on the app. And one of the things they do is they say, you know, list the ingredients you have in your house or have in your kitchen, and then we'll spit out recipes that have those things. Right. Yep. And that seems like something that, I mean, man, talk about taking some, some steps out of the equation. If you can put it in, Hey, I, these are the proteins I have you know, these are the, these are the vegetables and fruits that I have make me a meal plan where I only have to spend, you know, $50 at the grocery store, right? Maybe that's a little too complex. I don't know. No, no. I think there's actually what they call smart refrigerators coming into the market right now that take pictures of what you have in your refrigerator Talking about Big Brother in your house, um, yeah, and, that's a little terrifying. And suggest uh, meals based on that. So, um, but one thing that the SCPC study really clearly found was what I call the technology paradox, where things like this are super exciting, and people have technology in their fingers so many hours a day. But at the same time, there are parts where uh, food and technology when they touch, there's a little bit more of a hesitation. 
Um, so laser edging on, on uh, etching on, on fruit and veg, I don't know, is that safe? Or a lot of the shelf uh, life technologies sounds amazing, but I need to make sure it's safe. And so I think for retailers, a lot of technology happening on the assortment, um, all these different, we'll call them operational sides. And I think that's where we're going to see very rapid adoption of technology. But anything that is consumer facing, it is very important to ask and address that paradox of is the consumer really looking to adopt this? What might be their concerns? How do I address those concerns? Um, and uh, really making sure that technology investments, which are, are usually big ticket items, uh, will actually be working for you in your favor. All right. Well, Emory, we've we've come to the end of our time. We've only just barely scratched the surface of all the different things that you all all covered in this research. So we'll have to have you back again soon, but thank you so much. Anything you wanted to say as we wrap up here? I think you are so right. Uh, the, the study actually divided uh, the topics into five buckets and it was a really, really fun. We spent about eight minutes talking about the research findings and then people were sitting in roundtable groups and talked about the findings with other retailers, growers, shippers, et cetera. So it was a really, really fun um, session at, at Southern Innovations. But you're right. I think we've, we've grabbed maybe two out of the five sections. So yes, I'm happy to be back and uh, we'll do more of it. And, and last thing, I believe I saw folks can actually go to the SEPC YouTube page and watch that session. Is that right? I do believe so. Yes. Excellent. So Anybody listening, if you want more along these lines, just head over there and check out the presentation because there's there's seriously a whole lot more. And so we'll we'll have more conversations along these lines. But Anne-Marie, thank you so much again for spending some time with me here today. We'll thank our listeners as well. I've been asking folks if you're either learning from or otherwise enjoying the podcast, please do rate and review. That helps me keep it rolling and and able to bring you wonderful folks like Anne-Marie who are so, so knowledgeable on, on all these topics, all things produce retail and the consumer. And with that, we'll let y'all go and see everyone next week on the Produce Retail Podcast. <laughs>